Two weeks ago, uh, we saw that the Philistines were preparing to attack Israel. And of course, that's not unusual. As you read through the Old Testament, it seems that these two nations are always at each other's throats, ready to, to go to war. Uh, but this time is just a little bit different because the, the future king of Israel, David, he is now alongside the Philistines, preparing to fight against the Israelites, Saul and uh, his best friend, Jonathan. Uh, so it's a little strange. You'll remember that, that David had fled from Saul earlier, and he, he found refuge among his enemies, among the Philistines. The Philistines even gave David uh, his own Philistine city, the city of Ziklag, where David and his 600 men and their families have lived uh, for just about a year and a half. Now, of course, during all this time, uh, David has not been entirely truthful with uh, the king of the Philistines, Achish, uh, actually not truthful at all uh, about either his, his true intentions of defecting from Israel or his true military exploits. Uh, see, David has been uh, making excursions, uh, raids against Israel's uh, enemies, but he's been telling King Achish that he's been fighting against Israel itself. And so Achish is convinced that David has fully turned against his homeland, and he's going to be a loyal Philistine subject for the rest of his life. Therefore, when the time comes that the, the Philistines are preparing to make their full-scale invasion on Israel, of course, King Achish says to David, you know, I expect you guys to be part of this. And uh, uh, it says actually in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 28, where we're reading today, it starts off like this. About that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. It seems crazy that King Achish of the Philistines would put so much trust in David, the guy who not all that many years ago had killed the Philistine champion Goliath, right? Right from the very same city where Achish was uh, living. Um, but nonetheless, at this point, we're kind of left wondering what in the world is David going to do now? Is he going to actually go out with the Philistines and, and fight against his fellow Israelites, against Saul and against his best friend Jonathan? Or will he, you know, maybe in the heat of the battle, turn on King Achish, become the, the Israelite hero and, and save the day? Or, or will something even more unexpected happen? Well, unfortunately, we're not going to find out yet until next week, because at this point, the story shifts the focus. In verse 3, it's like, a, it's like a whole brand new story starts as the story shifts the focus from David onto Saul, as Saul prepares for this Philistine onslaught. Um, and so, of course, the, the both stories are woven together, and we'll see that as they kind of play out. But as we read through our passage today, it's going to seem like the story revolves exclusively around Saul. But before we go into any further into that, let's pause here and pray and just ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for uh, already the encouragements that we've had today and for the, the blessings that we've received. And we pray that we would be a blessing to you as well as we bring our, our worship to you uh, and we honor and praise you for who you are. Uh, I pray as we look into your word now uh, that you would continue to speak to our hearts, uh, point out those things in our lives that we need to change and, and align with how you want us to live so that we can... Uh, more fully know you and experience your presence, as Mike talked about last week. I uh, just pray that you would speak to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this part of the story begins now in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. We're going to start at verse 3. Although at first glance, verse 3 almost kind of seems out of place as well. It, it almost kind of like it's reading as, you know, just some random facts that the author just threw in there. I'll, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, verse 3 reads like this. Meanwhile, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. 
And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. All right, so in a story about you know, David and the Philistines going to war against the Israelites, this verse doesn't really seem to fit with what's going on. For one thing, uh, the author has already told us about Samuel's death three chapters ago. I don't know if you remember that. Back in chapter 25, it says uh, in verse 1 there, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. All right, that was three chapters ago. Why is the author bringing this up again now? I mean, this is, this is information we already know. Why bring it up? Well, let's take a look at the second piece of information in that verse, uh, and that is that Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. So obviously the, the author is setting the stage for what is about to happen here. Samuel is dead, and anyone who claims to speak to the dead has been banned from the land of Israel. You know, if you put two and two together, you, you might be able to guess where this is going. But let's not guess. Let's read on and, and uh, keep these thoughts in your head for now. We'll come back to that, but we'll see what happens next. Verse 4 says, The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Now, this is interesting here. Uh, King Saul is terrified of the Philistines. And, and you'll recall this isn't the first time that that's happened. But, but Saul is desperately trying to get uh, an answer, some direction from God as to what he should do. But the Lord isn't answering him. He, God's not communicating through dreams. He's not communicating through the, the, fake, the sacred lots, the, the poor, I guess is the word they use, the, the dice, um, uh, or through the prophets or anything, right? Try as he may, Saul is just not getting any answers from God. And I guess that probably shouldn't be all that surprising to us. After all, Saul has continually ignored God's instructions in the past, right? He's disobeyed God's commands. He's, he's overstepped his bounds, uh, his authority that God had given him as king. And Saul has chosen to live in opposition to God, as we can clearly see in his opposition to David, right? The, the very guy that God has appointed as the next king of Israel. And so why would God offer any new instructions to Saul when Saul has refused to obey the commands that God has already given him, right? It's, it's kind of a no-brainer there. And I think this is actually a, a good reminder for us as well. Uh, I think we probably all go through times when, when God seems silent, right? You, you know, we, we pray to God for answers, or we, we search the scriptures, read through the Bible, uh, we listen to sermons or podcasts or whatever it is, and we try to get some answer from God, but for whatever reason, God seems to remain silent. Could it be that God has already given us some instructions and he's just waiting for us to obey them first before he gives us anything new. Now, of course, that, that's not to say that that's always the reason that God might seem to be silent. There's a, a number of reasons why that might happen, but it's certainly a, a possibility for us to consider. You know, if we're going to ask God to give us direction in our life, then we better make sure that we're already faithfully following the instructions that he's already given us, right? And why would God give us more instructions if we're not following the ones he's already told us? Now, and of course, don't get me wrong, God is more than willing and eager to hear our prayers and to answer them when we call for help, but not when we stubbornly refuse to obey him. Uh, David would actually later write in Psalm 66, uh, verse 17, For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. 
You know, when we confess our sin to the Lord and we come to God with a, a humble and an earnest desire to know what God would have us to do, that is when we truly want to be completely obedient to the Lord, then God will not ignore our prayers. He will answer us and he will give us the guidance we need. It's, it's like James says in James 1.5, he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. And I think that that last part of that passage describes Saul to a T, right? He was a man of divided loyalty. He, he wanted to have it both ways, right? He wanted his way and God's way at the same time. And, and as we've seen through his life, he was unsettled as a wave of the sea. He was, he was unstable in everything he did. And unless he chose to truly confess his sin and earnestly desire to serve God alone, unless he did that, he could not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And I think that's just where Saul found himself in these verses. Still divided in his heart, you know, crying out to God for guidance on one hand, but still living in disobedience in the other and not receiving any answer from the Lord. So now, fueled by panic and fear and desperation, uh, it's in this unstable state that Saul chooses to further disobey the Lord. Take a look at verse 7. Saul then said to his advisors, Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. All right, if the Lord wouldn't give him the answers that he wanted, well, Saul would seek his answers somewhere else. And more specifically, Saul would seek his answers from a medium. That is, someone who would, uh, says that they would communicate with the dead. And of course, this is a practice that was clearly forbidden by God. If you look back in Deuteronomy, uh, we see that God strongly condemns and forbids this and other related uh, spiritualistic practices. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy 18.9, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Right? Clearly, God wanted the Israelites to have nothing to do with any of these practices. And, and for good reason. Uh, these practices are, are all ways that mankind sought out knowledge and power from a spiritual source other than God. Now, of course, the, the Bible teaches that the only you know, source of, of power or knowledge outside of God would be Satan and his demons. And so it's no wonder that God doesn't want people uh, seeking out knowledge or power from Satan. Because anything that Satan offers us is a counterfeit, right? It's a fake. It's a lie. Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. In fact, the Bible describes him as a roaring lion looking for people whom he can devour. So why on earth would God's people ever go to Satan for a lie that will harm or destroy them when they can have the truth of God uh, from a God who loves them like crazy? You can see why all these practices are so detestable to God and why God forbid his people from engaging in these activities. And to his credit, it seems that Saul, at least at one time, uh, acknowledged and agreed with that. Because in, in verse 3, you'll remember, we, we read that Saul had banned from the land all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. 
But unfortunately, now, having more recently rejected the truth of God, it's just a, a tragic irony that Saul is now seeking out and, and wanting to participate in the very sinful practices that he had earlier banned from the land. It says in verse 7, Saul then asked, uh, said to his advisors, Find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, There is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Now, how tragic it is that Saul has gone from, you know, banning all mediums from the land in obedience to God to now having to deceive and coerce this woman into carrying out and practicing an activity that he knows is detestable to God. Now, for a man who once had so much godly potential, it's heartbreaking to see him now. And I can only imagine how God must have felt in that moment. Verse 11 continues. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me! You are Saul! Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a god coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like? Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Now, I'll pause here just to try to give us a little bit of perspective of what's going on in this very strange scene. Now, I'm certainly no expert on occultish practices, but I'll share at least a little bit uh, what I've read from other experts. Uh, very likely, this woman would have been used to communicating uh, in some way with a demon who would pretend to be the, the spirits of whatever dead person uh, she was calling up. Uh, but in this case, the spirit of Samuel actually showed up. And this is why this woman is so, so shocked and, and afraid because she saw Samuel, right? This is not what usually happened. Now, of course, this wasn't her doing. Uh, this would have been an act of God to, to bring Samuel back, uh, perhaps similar even to the time when uh, Elijah and Moses appeared with Jesus on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. You might remember that uh, in Matthew 17. But only God has the power to raise the dead or, or to command their spirits. Anything that Satan does is merely a, a counterfeit and a lie. And this woman, from her pagan point of view, uh, she described Samuel's appearance as, as a god coming up out of the earth, right? She'd obviously never seen anything like this before. But as she described his appearance to Saul, Saul recognized that it was indeed Samuel. Uh, this truly was a very rare event, but it seems that God had chosen for whatever his good purposes were uh, to allow Saul to speak with Samuel. Uh, however, in hindsight, I'm not sure Saul really would want to hear what Samuel had to say to him. Let me read on in verse 15. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Saul, or Samuel asked Saul. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. 
the Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Now, those are not the the words of, of encouragement and direction that Saul had hoped to hear, but they were the same words that God had tried to communicate to Saul for years. God had warned Saul time and time again that his disobedience would result in his destruction and the loss of his kingdom. Now, Saul had years to repent and to change direction, but he stubbornly refused. And now his time had finally run out. The very next day, the Philistines would defeat the army of Israel, and both Saul and his sons would be killed, joining Saul in death, or joining Samuel in death, I should say. Uh, Saul's kingdom would come to an end, and it would be handed over to David, just as God had said. And you would think that, you know, with such pointed and specific details of his impending death, that Saul might respond with, you know, humble repentance, you know, trying at the last minute to make things right. But yet we don't see any evidence of that happening. Here's how the the chapter concludes. Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was also faint with hunger, for he'd eaten nothing all day and all night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman, who had, been, or the woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors, and they ate. Then they went out into the night. And that's all we read. No sign of repentance, no asking for forgiveness, just paralyzing fear and a resounding sense of hopelessness. What a a terrible way to end the chapter. What a terrible way to end a life. But I don't want to end today on a note of hopelessness. After all, we're the church of hope, and we serve a God who does nothing but offer us hope. Uh, And now certainly there's some sobering warnings in this story today. Uh, Primarily, I think that if we refuse to submit to God and to his authority in our lives, then we too will face a, a bitter and hopeless end. You know, God has warned us clearly in his word that those who refuse to submit uh, their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ will spend an eternity away from him in a place of torment that God has made for Satan and his demons. But that is certainly not God's desire for us. God loves us like crazy, and he was willing even to die on a cross for us so that we could have eternity with him. He pleads with us time and time again to give up our selfish ways, to turn our lives to him, and to accept his free gift of of eternal life and joy and peace. You know, Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, God gives us all a lifetime of second chances, you know, to to come to our senses, to repent of our sin and to to turn to him for forgiveness in life. But God's patience doesn't extend forever. Right. As we've seen with Saul, God will keep his word and his promised judgment will come. But until then, there's still time to repent. If you're alive today, you still have hope. Uh, No matter how how badly you've messed up, no matter how many times you've rejected God, no matter how many times you've said no, it doesn't matter. As long as you've got breath, there's still hope. Right now, God is waiting patiently for you to turn to him and and accept his gift of of forgiveness and life. 
And so I'd encourage you today not to delay any longer. You know, unlike Saul, we don't know when our final days will be. All right, we might still have decades of life or we might only have a few hours. We just don't know. And so I'd encourage you not to delay. Why not choose today in this moment to turn to God and accept his forgiveness? Now, for some of us, that might be for the first time ever. You know, it might be today that we choose to give our lives to Christ and, and surrender and, and accept his gift of life and forgiveness. And if that's the case for you, I'd love to have you come and, and let me know about that. I'd love to celebrate this moment with you. Uh, for others of us who've maybe been Christians for some time already, maybe today's the day that we need to repent of some sin that we've allowed to remain in our lives. You know, maybe we've been carrying that, that guilt and that conviction with us for some time now. Uh, and for us too, God has been patiently waiting for us to, to repent of our sin so that he can again restore that right relationship with us. And we can experience again that joy and that peace and that sweet communion that comes with having a right relationship with God. But for all of us, no matter what our situation is this morning, God is patiently waiting for us, waiting for us to repent of our sin and to come near to him. Let's not risk making him wait any longer. With that, let's close in prayer and then we'll uh, sing our closing song. Dear God, we thank you so much for your incredible patience for each one of us. God, we know that none of us are deserving of your grace or, or of second chances or, or even a first chance, really, God. We're, we're born in sin and, and we just love to live in it for some reason. But God, you're, you're so patient and kind with us, offering us second chances, offering us forgiveness, and at a great cost to yourself. I mean, your son died on a cross, went through all those things just so that we could be forgiven and have life with you. So God, I pray that we would not delay any longer. If it's for the first time that we turn to you, God, may today be the day. Or if we've done that already and we've, you know, we've still carried some sin with us and we know that you, you want us to make those changes, God, may this day be the day that we do that as well. May we uh, make you wait for us no longer. May we come to you and, and uh experience your open arms as you welcome us in as, as uh, dearly loved children of God. Uh, thank you again, God, for this great reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.